consider that. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, if you have your Bibles, the book of Mark, chapter number 6, this evening, the book of Mark, chapter number 6. I want to look in these first six verses tonight, Mark, chapter number 6. Um, and I'm going to ask you to stand, if, if you would. We'll read these verses together, and we'll go back through them. Mark, chapter 6, verse number 1. And he went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and Many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. You ought to underline verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about the villages, teaching and uh, teaching. I skipped verse, verse 5. He could do there no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk, and he healed them. We're going to preach from that verse exclusively tonight. I, I believe we'll get to that verse. Verse 5 and verse 6. I want to preach on this thought tonight. Don't miss out on what God can do. Don't miss out on what God can do. Father, I love you. And I ask your blessing tonight. Please help us, Father, as we attempt to preach the word. Fill us, Father, I pray with your spirit. But first, God, cleanse us of sin. Cleanse us of self. Lord, I pray, God, I know you'll not feel a dirty vessel. Please help us this evening, Father, as we look into your word. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. This message is heavy on my heart tonight. I desire to see God do mighty works in our midst. And there's nothing our God can't do. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing that's impossible for him. I, I dream of scores of people being saved. I, I dream of an overflowing of people praising God in his house. I, I just desire those things. Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, believers tonight, all across this area are desiring a move of God. Can I get a witness? That God would show up and that God would show out. Amen? And we desire that. And sometimes I wonder if I, I am the hindrance to that desire. Am I the hindrance to that dream that I have of seeing God do great things? I'll say this tonight. My desire that God would move is greater tonight than it's ever been. Yes, I'm thankful for all that God has done for us. I'm thankful for what he's doing right now. I'm just going to be, I'm going to say this, but I'm not satisfied. I desire more, amen, and more. Preacher, you're just wanting more things. No, I want more of him. And the older I get, the more I understand that and I grasp it. In verse number five, the scripture says, he could do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. 
something limited God, limited Jesus from doing more. And that limitation was not God. God still has power. God could still do the impossible. God could still work miracles. So something was hindering him. In Psalm 78, please hold your place here. But let's look at Psalm 78. Verse number 41. Psalm 78, verse 41. You may say, Preacher Darren, it's blasphemous to you, for you to say that anything could limit or hinder God. Well, let's just read what the Bible says. In Psalm 78, verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Did you see that? The people turned back, tempted God, and limited Him working in their lives. I want to say this tonight and I'm going to preach. I do not want to miss what God can do. Amen? I do not want to be an obstacle that may cause someone else to miss what God wants to do. Amen? When I look at this text, I see five things will be done. Number one, I want us to see the tactical move. Verse one says, he went out from thence. What are you talking about? Remember, he's gone into the region of Capernaum. He's been to Jairus' house. He's raised up his daughter. Remember when he came to Jairus' house, the people were laughing him to scorn, ridiculing him. When Jesus said, she's not dead but sleepeth, they said, are you a crazy person? She is dead. She's been pronounced dead. The coroner's been here. Now they're picking her up by the, the nursing home. She, she is dead. He put that crowd out. That crowd has greatly turned against him. And now the Bible says that he came into his own country. Preacher there, where is that? He's come back to Nazareth. You realize when he was probably about two years old, his family moved to Nazareth. He grew up in the carpenter's home. He worked in the carpenter's shop in the region of Nazareth. Did you know that when Jesus started his public ministry, after he was baptized by John, he went into the synagogue of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Let's just look at the scriptures tonight. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 16. Luke 4 verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, Oh, glory to God. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says he closed the book. Verse 21 said, says, Jesus said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Amen. How did those who knew him best, where he grew up in Nazareth, where he walked up and down those streets and 
How did they take it? Verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They wanted to throw him down a hill and to get rid of him. Amen. That's the first time he stood at the synagogue of Nazareth. He left, moved his missionary headquarters over to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, after about two years of ministry, now they've rejected him. They're laughing at him, ridiculing, mocking him. May I read you some, a verse in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23? Thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Capernaum, miracle after miracle, and yet they rejected the Lord. The Lord shut it down. He's coming home to Nazareth in our text in Mark chapter 6. It's a very significant withdrawal. He is moving on. He is not going to preach in Capernaum again. They have missed their opportunity. The sun has set upon this opportunity for them to be saved. This reminds me of a fact. There is a day, a window of opportunity that you have with God. But that window may not always stay open. Amen. That opportunity can pass. Jesus has given Nazareth a second chance. The Bible says at the end of the verse that his disciples follow him. There's no record the first time he was at Nazareth that he had any disciples with him. But the second time, his disciples are with him. He's going to teach them about opposition. He's going to teach them about rejection. This is a tactical move as Jesus has a homecoming to Nazareth. Second of all, let's consider his teaching ministry. In verse 2, when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished. Now think about it. Although Jesus has come home, there are no signs welcoming him home. There's no open arms saying, good to have you, Jesus. Praise the Lord, good to have you today. You know, you go to some cities and outside the city it says, city of such and such, home of somebody famous. But Nazareth didn't put a sign up to say, this is the home of Jesus. They have rejected him once and now he's given them a second chance. He stood in the synagogue. What do you think he taught them? He taught them the word of God. And when he taught, no, never man spake like this man spake. They were astonished. The word here in the Greek means it took their breath with panic. It means they were flabbergasted. It means they were baffled at the authority and the power and the words which he spoke to them. Now, it doesn't indicate what he said to them this time, but let's think about what he said the first time, and maybe he's given them a repeat message. Look at Luke again, chapter 4. We were there. Let's just see what he said to them. I just want to give you one verse. Verse 27. What did he say the first time he was there? Luke 4, 27. The scripture says, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. So, that's, that's true. Many lepers. There's leprosy all over Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed. Save, saving, Naaman, the Syrian. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. All these Jews, there's lepers amongst them. But it wasn't the lepers of Israel that were healed. 
It was the Gentile leper. Why? Because Israel had rejected God at that point in time and God wasn't doing a great work amongst them because of their unbelief and now he starts healing Naaman, the captain of the host of the Syrians, the Gentiles. This is what he's saying. And you can read the preceding verses if you want to. He's saying if you won't believe in the Messiah, I'll turn to the Gentiles. And that's what he preached the first time and they were filled with wrath and tried to throw him down a cliff. And now he's come home, he's back in the synagogue and with authority and with power, he's preaching again. Oh, do you think they're going to be happy about it? No, they're infuriated. They feel insulted. They, listen, they have an idea of who the Messiah will be and he does not fit their mold. May I say tonight, there's a difference between the God you want and the God who is. There's a difference between the Jesus you want and the Jesus who is. Hey, there are people of the world that said, oh, I don't believe God would ever do that. I don't believe it. Honey, there's a difference between God that you think and God who is. Amen. So there's his teaching ministry and work and even in works. Look with me in verse 2. They're, they're wondering about how he's doing these mighty works in the verse which are wrought by his hand. That's his teaching ministry. Thirdly, I want us to think about the tragic misgiving. As he taught the scriptures, never man spake like this man spake. It was probably the most powerful, purest, most precise presentation of the gospel that's ever been made. And yet his miracles, his message, his ministry was rejected by his whole people in the city of Nazareth. They begin to question him. Those who knew him the longest have rejected him. Be careful. There is a danger of becoming too familiar. Bethel, there is a danger in becoming gospel-hearted. Just in case you think it can't happen to you. It's easy when I get up and preach and see on your face that you're sometimes bored with what you hear. The gospel is the most powerful message known to men. But I preached it so many times. You've heard me preach it. And you just look and say, tell me something new, preacher Derry. Give me something new that excites me. Honey, listen. The theme of every song and the theme of every message should be that Jesus Christ gave his life a ransom for our sins and then he was buried and rose again on the first day of the week. That should never bore you. That's why we've come here to worship him, amen. But the message has become ordinary. It's become commonplace. It's become familiar to you. At our house, many years, we had one of those striking clocks. You know, one o'clock struck one. Two o'clock struck twice. And then seemed like during the day, I would hear that clock maybe strike 10 o'clock or 11, and I would think, man, I've been here all day and I hadn't heard it strike once. It did its job. I was so hard to hear it that I paid it no attention. It become commonplace and ordinary. I'm telling you, you'll sit right here on these pews tonight on a Wednesday night and not really, you're just going through the motions of having church and not really appreciate the truth of the gospel. You may say, preacher, I've already received the truth. How much more truth do I need? 
Honey, I'm telling you, we'll never know enough. Not in this life. It'll never happen. It's just a tragedy that when the truth is preached, that it doesn't, uh, or that it is dismissed by people oftentimes. Look with me how they start dismissing. Look with me in verse 2. Let's look at the question. They said, from whence hath this man these things? What does that mean? They're denouncing his claims with sarcasm and with slurs. They do not believe his claims that he is the Son of God. They believe he's satanic. That's how he's doing these works. Look how they deride his communication. They say, what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? They are attacking him. They are smearing his reputation. They are attacking the messenger in order to deny the message. They will not allow their hearts to receive or to believe the gospel. Look at verse 3, they, how they defame his credentials. It's not this the carpenter. I'm going to stop right there. Can you hear the scorn and the contempt in that? Saying he's just a carpenter. He's not a rabbi. He's not a teacher. He has no earthly education. Who does he think he is to walk up in here in Nazareth and get in our synagogue and start teaching us truths from the Word of God? He's not qualified. He's a carpenter. Common. You hear they're defaming his credentials. Watch them as they demean his character. What's this? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The son of Mary. They're insinuating he's illegitimate. You, you adults know what I mean. That he is born of fornication outside of marriage. Now, help me, Jesus. The Lord just brought something to mind I want to see. Luke chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. Not in my notes. The Lord said, look at this. Luke chapter 4. I love it when he does. This gives us something new. Luke chapter 4. The first time when he was ministering in Nazareth, and he warned them, if you reject the Messiah, he will turn to the Gentiles, and they were filled with wrath. Look at verse number 20. And all bear witness, or 22, sorry. And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? The first time they said, is not this Joseph's son? Who is he? He's not qualified. This is Joseph the carpenter's son. But now here we are two years later. And they're not saying he's Joseph's son anymore. They said he's Mary's son. The rumor mill has reached Nazareth. Has it reached your house? You ever had the rumor mill reach your house? And now they're questioning his credentials, questioning his character. They're demeaning him publicly. Let's go back to our text. And they said... Uh, is he not the brother of James and Joseph and of 
Judah and Simon and are not his sisters here with us? In other words, he's got brothers and sisters, listen, and they don't even believe him. If his own family doesn't believe him, why should we? You hear them putting down his character. The people of Nazareth knew this. The Bible says in verse 3, they were offended in him. For 30 years, he's walked up and down those streets living a sinless life. Not one person could think of one thing that he ever did or said. What if they talked about you in Spruce Pine? What you said, what you did, what you listened to, what you're watching. Let them give witness about you. Let's give witness about them. But honey, when you witness about Jesus, they've got nothing bad to say that's true. He's sinless before them. But on this day, in their synagogue, they have totally rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of turning to Him, they're turning against Him. Amen? Isaiah 53, 3 said, He is despised. And rejected of men. John 1.11 says he came into his own and his own received him not. Fourthly, there is a timeless message. Verse 4, look what Jesus said. Verse 4, a prophet is not without honor but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Preacher, what does that mean? He said I can go anywhere else and get honor except at home. Familiarity breeds contempt. Sometimes, Bethel, we forget our privileges. We're going to have church Sunday morning, Sunday school, 10 o'clock, worship service at 11, come back 6 o'clock Sunday night. We have a Wednesday night service at 7 o'clock. Come if you can. Come if it's convenient. And then the governor says, no more church in person. If you gather, you gather outside, and I'm even against that. Oh, and you got so mad. Who's he pretend? I'll tell you something. I have every right. I'm faithful. Bless God, hadn't seen you in three months. And you get upset. And the governor says that your church people's become irrelevant. You know, and it made people mad. And you know why it did? Because we made ourselves irrelevant. We did not appreciate the privilege of attending God's house and hearing God's preacher preach and hearing God's choir and His children praise His holy name. We lost our appreciation of that. Oh, no, no, that's not true, preacher. I tuned into every service. Yeah, while you scanned everything else that was going on. I'm just telling you, we did not appreciate our privilege. That's because I've heard it all before, preacher Darren. That's exactly the problem. You've become too familiar with the schedule, too familiar with the preacher, too familiar with the choir, too familiar with the church pew and your surroundings. I challenge you next week, sit somewhere different. You're too familiar and you've lost your appreciation for what God's doing in your life. And for that, I'm telling you, you're about to miss out on what God can do. Because it's just always got to be done the way you've always experienced it done. Honey, you've got to learn to pray beyond your experience. Faith, amen. Faith is beyond your experience. Amen. 
Poor illustration. Let's just say that you had to get to London, England. And you got in your car and you started driving. And you got as far as the New York City out there right to the border of the coastline. And your car can't go any further. Why? There's an ocean there, preacher Darren. There's water. So you know what you got to do? Go get you an aeroplane. Jump on that and fly over there. Let me tell you something. Yourself, you can't get there. You've got to get in something different, amen. If you're going to get from here to there, it's got to be faith that's going to take you over. You've got to pray beyond your experience. You've got to trust him and have faith in him, amen. Well, it is a timeless message. We, do we undervalue the truth? Could we be guilty of having a lukewarm, lethargic spirit? We desire God to do great things. We just don't believe he will. We want him to do it, but we just don't believe Honey, when was the last time you said, I can't wait to, church. I can't wait to get to church because God's going to do something? Preacher, just a couple weeks ago in revival. Yeah, amen, you're right, but what happened to last Sunday morning? You was excited about revival. What happened? Said, well, that's because you're going to be up there again. You've been here for 20-something. We're tired. Hey, man, there you go. We do not appreciate the truth that God gives us. Fifthly, and I'll be done. There is the terrifying marvel. Verse 5, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, two times in the word of God, I know you know this, two times Jesus marveled. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith because he said, I'm not worthy that you would come under my roof. But if you'd say in a word that my servant might be healed, you can do it. And Jesus marveled because of his faith. And now for the second time, Jesus is marveling. And it is, it is because of faith. It is unbelief. It is because there is no faith. He, he marveled at one that had faith that was mastering. And he marvels at one because his faith is missing. Jesus' power is not diminished. He could still do all things. But the Bible says he could there do no mighty work. It did not say he wouldn't. He made the choice because they built up the walls of unbelief to move on. Except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and he healed them. There is a remnant there that was looking to him. Amen. You know what he's looking to tonight? He's looking for faith. As he walked away, I thought about this. As he walked away, who in Nazareth in the future might be needing a miracle? But they hardened their hearts and the Lord's walked away. So I got this question. Is there anything in me that limits God what he wants to do? Is there anything in me that limits what God can do? What about Matthew 23, verse 37? Could this be in me that would hinder God working around my life? Matthew 23, verse 37. Jesus looked out over the city and said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets 
and stonest them which are sent unto thee? How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And ye would not. Has there been times in your life that you've been unwilling? God spoke to you and you said, Mm-mm, no, I'm not willing to do that. Is that in you? Your unwillingness will cause God not to do what He can do because you're unwilling to serve Him. Unwillingness. What about Revelations 3.20? Brother David was all over this last night talking to the church that is at Laodicea, the end times church. A church that said, hey, we're rich and we're clothed in fine suits and we, our offerings are great and we've got the greatest attendance of our services we've ever had. And the Lord said, you don't realize, but you're really miserable, you're naked, and you're blind. Look at verse number 20. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Now, get this picture. Now, it didn't come out last night. I've never heard, but, but think about this. The church of Laodicea, Jesus is outside knocking to get in. This is not just a salvation verse. This is he's knocking just to get in his own church. What they've said is, hey, we don't need you getting so holy around here. We got this. We know how to lead that choir. We know how to speak to them and motivate them. We, our offerings are great. We don't need you, Jesus. Go on down the street to the church next door. And he's standing at the door. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Unconcerned. Is there times in my life that I have been unwilling? Are there times in my life that I have unconcerned? When I first started preaching, I was at my dad's church at Fletcher. I was standing in a dream. I was standing in the lobby. And as I stood there with another usher, I heard a knock at the door. And I thought, that was weird because who knocks at the door? The door's always open back in them days. And as usher, I reached to open the door. That was the Spirit of God. And we, we, we brought him in. The choir was singing. The people were seated. People were, looked like they were enthused, thrilled. And I walked with him and said, here's a seat. And he sat down. Honey, he didn't come to sit down. He come to take over. And God warned me that night in a dream. Let me have my way. Don't be filled with unconcern. Don't get up there and think because you've studied that you can do it. You've been doing it for 30 years, boy. You, you could never do it to start with and you still can't do it now. 
Don't think you can get up there in that choir and say, well, we're Bethel and we can just sing and we can come together and we can just have come have church. No, we can't, honey. We need God. And if we don't beg and seek his face and get his presence here, we're going to miss out on what he can do. Are y'all with me? Somebody help me preach. Are you with me? In the book of Isaiah. Preacher, how long are you going to preach till I'm done? God laid this on my heart, not yours. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Man, I've used this so many times leading people to Christ. I'm honest. I, I, I don't have time to tell you all the stories that he's done as I, I've quoted that use this verse. But God showed it to me in a new way. There are times in your heart and in mine that we've been unreasonable. Preacher Darren, I'll do what you ask me to do if you can give me a good reason. I'll, I'll preach it. Hey, the Lord said, come, let us reason together. Oh, preacher Darren, I got a verse or two. Yeah, I'm sure he's got more. He's got more verses than you got verses, amen. You sit down and start reasoning with God. Oh, preacher Darren, this doesn't appeal to my logic. Preacher Darren, I don't understand it. Honey, I don't understand how my eyes work, but I still see I don't understand how my, hear, how my ears work, but thank God I can still hear for now, amen. Hey, hallelujah, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Amen. Don't be unreasonable. Amen. Don't be unwilling. Don't be unconcerned, amen. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. uncleanness sin in your life hindering you sin in your life limiting the powerless work of God in your life a little girl she had reached into a, a vase we still say that here in Spruce Pine some of y'all may call it a vase she reached her hand into a vase and it was an antique vase Oh, it's so expensive. She tried to get her hand out. She couldn't get her hand out. And her mom said, honey, you shouldn't have been putting your hand in there anyway. Oh, my God, it hurts. my hand out. They tried Crisco. Some of y'all know what that is. They tried butter. They, they, they tried Pam. Pam, they sprayed Pam. They everything they could do to slick it up. Finally, the daddy said, we're going to have to bust that vase. We're going to have to break that vase. And I'm panicked. The mom says, 
Is there any other way? Honey, this is our daughter. She can't go around for the rest of her life with a boss on the end of her hand. We've got to have to do something about it. They broke the vase and the little girl's hand came out. And when she did, it was closed with fist. All she had to do was open her hand. It would have come out. But there was a penny she had dropped down in there. And she had to get that penny out. And she wouldn't do, she could have turned the vase upside down. Many other ways she could have got the penny out. But her hand, she was so, just a little girl, hard to communicate with her. She was so young. I wonder what is it tonight you're holding on to? That's causing God to be limited in your life. I mean, is there, is there anybody besides me in this place that says, Preacher Darren, I've been wondering why that prayer request hadn't got answered yet. Preacher, I've prayed a prayer of faith. I've done everything I thought I knew to do. But is there something you're holding on to? Is there something that's unclean? Is there something that you're unwilling? Is there something that's unreasonable? Is there, is there something right now? Unbelief. Unbelief in your life. Don't miss out. Oh, what God can do. I've sat and said, God, am I the reason we're not seeing these big things that I've been praying for seeking your face? Oh, God, if I am, please show me. I'll move myself, God, or I'll get right about whatever it is, God, under my desk. I begged him, but I pleaded with him. I've done all that I know to do except preach this message. And here I am. I'm adjuring you. Will you consider don't miss what God can do in your life. You stand on your feet. Maybe there's somebody here. It's Wednesday night. I won't give a lot of invitations on Wednesdays always. Maybe there's somebody that say, Preacher Darren, I want just a little prayer time with him right now. If you'd grant it, would you give me an invitation? I want to go pray. I got lost family that may depend on this prayer, Preacher. I got some answers to prayer requests that may depend on this moment, Preacher. I want to do what you say right now. What God says right now, preacher. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the challenge of this text. I thank you, Father, for the message of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray tonight, God, that you would forgive me. Lord, I don't want to stand in your way. I don't want to miss out on what you want to do. Father, I want to follow and be obedient to your voice. And I pray, God, Lord, if I've been a cause or a hindrance or a stumbling stone to anybody, oh, God, you'd forgive me. Help me, God, to make it right. Oh, God, I pray tonight, Father. Lord, we've got lost people that need to be saved. God, I'm begging you. I got family members, friends, 
Lord, there's a work of God that needs to be done. I desire to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I just don't want to see it one time. I want to see it every time. Oh, God, don't let anything, please, Lord, show us God. I believe if I would confess my sins, you would be faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. And of this church, God, if there's anything we're holding on to or harboring, God, I pray you'd let it, let us let it go, God, and move past it, Lord, and trust you, Lord. Save our lost. Answer our prayers, God. Be the God that answers our needs. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.